The 2-1 home to Sierra. Line drive into left field. That's going to drop for a base hit. Nick Dunn rounds third. He's going to come in to score. Nick Sierra joined the RBI party. 8-0 Maryland. Swung on and cracked to deep right field. Chasing it back is Taylor at the wall. It's out of here. Madison Nickens with the third home run of the inning for the Terps. Ingle kicks and deals and Dunn lines a base hit down the left field line. Nickens comes around third. He will score. Dunn into second with an RBI double and we're tied at three. 3-1. Swung on and cracked to deep center field. Going back is Powell. He's at the wall. Leaping is out of here. A grand slam for Nick Sieri and the Terps take an 8-7 lead. Bonine kicks and delivers. That one's hit to deep left field. Going back is Vargas. It's a no-doubter. Over the scoreboard and out of here. Marty Costas goes yard. His second home run of the game. And the Terps lead it 7-2. First pitch to Tyler and he swings away and hits it to right field straight away. Nickens is there. He makes the catch. Tagging is Dogan. He's going to try to score the throw to the plate. The tag. And he is out at the plate. Madison Nickens guns him down. And the Terps get out of the inning. Good evening and welcome to the 16th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg here with Matt Present. And man, Matt, what an exciting weekend it was for the Terps. A complete game shutout on Friday, a walk-off win Friday night to sweep the doubleheader, and then another walk-off on Sunday to sweep the entire series. They go 4-1 and one, uh, over the week. Now three games above 500, a four-game winning streak. It seems like the Terps have turned it around. Yeah, absolutely. Such an exciting weekend, and each game featured different in excitement and different improbabilities. Um, but it remains to be seen what this weekend will become, what it will turn into for the rest of the season, but it certainly has the feel that it is the momentum changer that this team needed to go from being inconsistent to being confident and having momentum moving forward. Well, I guess a good place to start is any would be on Wednesday. The game against James Madison, Hunter Parsons starting to emerge a lot better as a starter than he was as a reliever. Seven strong innings, one run ball, struck out four, allowed just two hits, and Big Ten freshman of the week. Yeah, not too shabby. First career win as well, and to be able to have that, that second guy emerge in a midweek role, and you know that was something we, we talked about at length so far this year on the podcast is, okay, when are we going to have that guy? Or who is the fourth guy? Or will there be a fourth guy or a fifth guy? And We saw Taylor Styles a week ago, and now we saw Hunter Parsons. And now if this pitching staff can continue to get deeper and deeper, and they collectively have gotten much better. This entire pitching staff has collectively gotten much better. Over the past seven games, Maryland has not allowed more than five runs in a game, and that is huge moving forward. Well, this team has an ERA collectively under four for the first time this season. And now you see the numbers kind of return to normalcy. Only guy still in double duties in ERA is John Murphy, and he hasn't pitched a whole lot in any case, so small sample size for him. But you mentioned how deep this you know pitching staff can be in terms of starters, and I know it's looking a little bit far ahead, but when you get to the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA regionals, you know, should the Terps make it there, that could be huge. You know, to have, you know, Schwarren, Schaefer, Bloom, Styles. Parsons, you know, really five guys that are ready to go and start for you. Yeah, you certainly need more than three in the postseason. Uh, we saw last year that it ended up being Shorn, Schaefer, Bloom, and Selmer 
but you need four guys in the postseason, and you need that midweek starter, whoever it is, to pitch like a weekend starter when when the season comes down to the line. Well, Styles was a weekend starter last year, you know, until his injury, and he'll pitch tomorrow against Richmond. You know, that'll be you know yet another midweek start for the Southpaw, and he's been really turning it on as of late. But you know, now looking towards the weekend, Taylor Bloom continues to just be dominant. A complete game shutout, allowed just three hits, struck out five, walked one. He only needed 90 pitches, Matt. 90 pitches kind of equaled Brian Schaefer's outing against Iowa you know, from a couple of weeks ago. And these two, Schaefer and Bloom, kind of going at each other in terms of you know outdueling one another on the mound. Yeah, absolutely. And what stands out, and I'm sure we've said this many times previously, but it doesn't hurt to repeat it, is the number of walks these guys are allowing. It's just remarkable. It's unseen anywhere in baseball to have starting pitchers have fewer strikeouts than appearances by three. Eight games started, five walks for both these guys. I mean, that's that's simply unheard of. And to be able to strike out guys at a decent clip as well and just, just dominate in the way that they are doing. Taylor Bloom now a sub-2 ERA at 1.99. And... You know, I don't want to belabor the point of him becoming the Friday starter, but he's certainly earned it. He's pitching like a Friday starter. Oh, absolutely. And I think Brian Schaefer said it best in terms of the walks. You know, a fantastic feature by our Ben Harris this past weekend on Schaefer. And yet, you know, Schaefer was quoted saying that he'd rather see a guy hit a home run off him than a walk. And it shows you kind of his mentality on the mound as such a fierce player and the way he doesn't want anyone to have anything come easy. Yeah, absolutely, and you can see it in the way he pitches. I mean, he attacks the strike zone, and that is what has transcended his success. In the beginning of the season when he was getting behind in the count, and again, you know, I don't want to belabor his struggles because so much of that just had to do with he hadn't pitched in a long time because of his his arm um, soreness and, you know, the re-aggravation in the fall. But once he started attacking hitters and attacking the strike zone, I mean, his – his stuff is certainly good enough that he's going to get guys out. And he's getting ahead in the count, which is key number one. And, you know, you see that not only is he striking guys out, but his opponent batting average is now 206. And that opponent's batting average is, you know, up there in the Big Ten Conference Rankers. Bloom's ERA under two in the top ten as well. And these two guys, really a solid one-two punch on Friday and Saturday, where they'll be this weekend too. They'll stick with the same rotation. Why not? You know, you got to sweep over Ohio State this weekend with Bloom on Friday. Schaefer technically Friday night, but, you know, really Saturday. And then, you know, as Chef said after the game on Sunday, I, he doesn't think there's any college coach in the country that would want to face Mike Schwarn on a Sunday. And I think he's right. He's absolutely right. Yeah, you're, you essentially at this point have three Friday starters. You really do. The way these guys are pitching and, and even Schwarn, I mean, he had, a, he had a decent bounce back performance on Sunday. Not his best stuff, but I think better than what we've seen of him. He had 10 punch outs. I mean, you can't you can't complain with that number. The run's probably a little higher than, than what he'd want, but as we were talking about before we came on there, that, that line probably a little worse than how he pitched. So let's go game by game here. We already talked about Taylor Bloom in the first game on Friday, his complete game shutout. The Maryland Bats, however, were stifled by Tanner Tully. He went eight innings himself, allowed three runs, two of them earned, struck out eight, and it was kind of the start of a really off series for Maryland offensively. But the pitching got the job done Friday night. 
Taylor Bloom shut him down. So we go to the second game on Friday, and you got this guy on the mound, John Havard, a lefty, who shuts out Maryland over eight-plus innings and then gets pulled after hitting Madison Nickens in the back of the pitch, first batter in the ninth. First off, what do you make of the decision to remove him from the game? My initial reaction is, what is that guy doing? I mean, the guy's got a no-hitter. How are you going to do this to him? And how is John Havard so calm and composed leaving the mound? I know if I was out there, Jake, and I pitched some in high school, I would have been furious being pulled in that situation. <clears throat> Taking a step back and thinking about it a little more, I do understand that it's a, a one-run game. You know, you're not blowing the team out with a no-hitter, but, you know, you still have to – winning still has to be priority number one. And so you do what gives you the best chance to win, and, you know, that supersedes the no-hitter. Now, personally, I still think that John Havard gave them the best chance to win that game. But if that's if that's not how they felt, then, you know, as tough as it is to pull a guy with that mark on the line, you got to do what gives you the best chance to win. Well, here's what made me think it was kind of so kind of so odd. Havard's left-handed, Nickens a left-handed batter. You understand leaving Havard in for that situation, and he happens to plunk the guy with his first pitch. But then Nick Dunn comes to the plate, and here's kind of where I didn't exactly understand things because Dunn's a, Dunn's a lefty too. Yes, you have Marty Casas on deck, a right-hander, but Dunn's a lefty. So why not leave him in? Right, and then you have Casas and then Siri, another lefty. I mean, to me, you, and not only, not why not leave him in, but they brought in another lefty. So they didn't, you know, you kept the matchup. I mean, if you're going to, you bring a lefty to face a lefty, it makes sense if the starter isn't also a lefty. I mean, that move didn't add up to me. And then, you know, personally, I would have had Nick Dunn bunt in that situation. Uh, the Terps decided not to, but there was just a lot of interesting decisions that, that played out over the course of, uh, of this ballgame. Well, and then, of course, you know, Michael Horatio comes in, gets Nick Dunn to fly out to right, and then it was, absolute, it was absolute madness, really, what happened. I don't think I've seen any game tie in that ever. I've never seen anything like it. Yanni Pavlopoulos comes in. The next batter for the Terps in the bottom of the ninth inning is Nick Sieri. You know, you bring in the right-hander Pavlopoulos to face Costas, Costas grounds out a shortstop. Nickens was stealing on the play. He's able to reach second. Sieri, Terps are down in their final strike against Pavlopoulos, and he gets him swinging, a ground ball, a, a breaking ball, rather, in the dirt, and then the Terps win. You know, I think Ben put it best with his lead the other night that the Terps were down in their final strike. Sieri struck out and then won the game. You know, the ball gets by Washington. Sieri goes to first base and makes it all the way there. Nickens moves up to third, and then you've got the tying run at third base. And then even more madness. Kevin Biondic comes to the plate, hits a ground ball to third baseman Nick Sergei because it goes off his glove, and when he picks it up, he can't make the throw to first. Yeah, I mean, you really have to feel for John Havard. I mean, not only does he get pulled, but they get the strikeout that should have won the game and a routine ground ball that should have won the game, sealed the deal, and they can't make either play. And I mean, I think... Whether or not this is where the Terps turn the corner in the win-loss column remains to be seen. But in terms of their mental fortitude, to have such a young team in the early going, I would not have called them mentally tough until this weekend, and now I would. Well, they certainly stayed in the game, and then 
you know, Nickens obviously scoring in the bottom of the ninth. And then in the tenth, there were no hit through nine and a third innings. Scored a run on zero hits. Well, they were due. They, they were, were due. I mean, I guess they were due because then Zach Jankarski hits his single into the outfield, steals second base. We know what kind of speed he has. And then Madison Nickens comes up to the plate and comes through. It was truly an unbelievable sequence of events in the late goings Friday night. And you had to steal Jankarski in that situation. Well, everyone, two outs, everyone knew he was going. Two outs. You, you had to steal him for the top of the lineup, give them a chance, and you know, Madison Nickens came through. I'm pretty sure Pavlopoulos threw over to first base against Jankarski in that bat at least six or seven times. Everybody in the ballpark knew that Jankarski was going to take off at some point. Everybody knew it. And, you know, then it happened and it paid off. And one more weird thing about this game, beyond the fact that Maryland went into extras with a no-hitter, didn't get their only hits until the 10th and won the game after striking out the final out of the game, or what should have been, a drop third strike that Dan Maynard threw to third, a two five put out I have never seen before. Oh, that that happened. I mean, it was. I can't. I, I don't think I can say enough. We talked about this in the Rhode Island series in that podcast the week after. How weird that series was with the the pitching duel that was between Bloom and Tyler Wilson, and then the slugfest on Sunday. I think this series against Ohio State tops that by miles. Just the weird things that we saw uh, on Friday night, the excitement of the first game with the complete game shutout. The first walk-off of the season for the Terps. And then things basically happening almost the same way on Sunday. The Terps were no-hit through four and a third innings by Ryan Feltner, the freshman right-hander, who was, looked really, really good in those four and a third innings. And then he gets pulled after allowing the first hit of the ball game, And all, on, immediately he's out. And then, you know, in comes the Ohio State bullpen. Dalton Mossbarger comes in. And he's solid through an inning and two-thirds. But Feltner gives up a run. It's the only run the Terps scored until the seventh when they would, you know, trim the lead to four to two. But I think the bigger story on Sunday, before we get to the exciting finish, was Mike Schwarn. And six and a third innings, ten strikeouts from him, but allowed four runs. And I think we both agree that he pitched better than his line. Sure, of course. You, I mean, you have to. The guy had ten strikeouts. Absolutely. And, and a couple of those runs were, were inherited runners that scored. It was a it was a season high for Schwarnus, and it's the first time he's been in double digits this season as well. And I think for most of this game, at least from my vantage point up in the booth, is that he was solid. The first inning, three up, three down. The second inning allowed a leadoff single, but then got the next three guys. Really only had two innings of trouble. In the third inning, Ohio State got a couple runs across, but one of them Really, I guess you could argue shouldn't have scored. There was a bloop single into right field by Nick Sergakis. And when he singled and that ball landed, Troy Montgomery came in to score. And Dunn went back on the ball. Papio came in from center. Nickens was coming in from right. And it looked like there was some miscommunication out there. And that's a ball that I think could have or should have been caught. And if that catch happens, the inning's over. The run doesn't score. And it's one nothing Buckeyes heading into the fourth or the bottom of the third, rather. So that's one run that, you know, maybe you can chalk up to, you know, chance, I guess. And then as soon as that single, as right after that single dropped, first off, Schwarren said after the game that, you know, he went over to Dunn and said, okay, I'm going to pick you up and get this next tie. And he did. He did. He got Troy Kuhn to strike out swinging. But after that single, he retired the next 10 straight. Not a single base runner until, you know, things got a little dicey in the seventh. And as you mentioned, you know, exited the game after six and a third with a couple guys on base. Rob Galligan came in and, of you know, unfortunately couldn't get out of the inning for Schwarn. 
and you know a couple more runs came in and that closed his line. Yeah, and again, you know, it's it's so tough. That's just baseball. I mean, some some guys get the brace, other times guys don't get the brace and you know, you you want Mike Schwarren to get those breaks. And right now he's not getting them and you just know that he's such a good pitcher. We said it last week, it's only a matter of time and I think he took a big step in the right direction on Unicorn Day, by the way. We saw your picture of you wearing the, the <laughs> unicorn tweeted out. If you haven't seen it, go to MD Baseball Net on Twitter and take a look at, at Jake's head. Um, but he did. He stepped up, and, and he's certainly moving in the right direction. And, you know, in that statement where you were just saying, you know, how he talked about picking Nick Dunn up and then retires the next 10, I think that shows his drive and his focus. And that's something that's wandered at times this season, I think. His focus, something something mental. I mean, it's not physical. We've been over this discussion. So whatever that is, if he can f- find that drive and if that can fuel him and if he can just zero in and pound the strike zone, I mean, that 10 strikeout number can be a re- reoccurring theme. Uh, let me tell you, Unicorn Day was a lot of fun. Uh, you had these unicorns horns from the Maryland Marketing Department, basically a gold party hat with Maryland ribbon wrapped around them, and that's what I had on my forehead before the start of the game, and I wore it for a couple innings also, you know, to be festive along the theme, but there were also t-shirts. It was basically t-shirts that said, in uh, in unicorn emoji, we trust, and it was like this, you know, silk screen ironed on purple unicorn thing, and I have one of the shirts, it's a white t-shirt, it'll, it'll be a nice shirt, you know, down the road, or a little thing to have, but... You know, it was just kind of it was just kind of a lot of fun to to be there for I guess what was supposed to be on Friday night. You know, there was actually and this is this is a little known fact right here is that there was supposed to be a promotional video that came out for the Friday night game of Mike with a unicorn or one of the horses from the the stables here in Maryland. They put a horn, a white horn on him, and it was basically telling students to come out to the game um, for Unicorn Day. And obviously, all those promo videos had come out of the game Friday night in it because that's when he was scheduled to pitch and these videos obviously made a couple of weeks ago and they had to kind of I don't want to say scrap them but obviously they couldn't use them with Schwarren starting Sunday so they were able to make a couple gifts out of them and you might have seen the the Maryland baseball Twitter account utilizing those they're pretty great hats off to Taylor Smythe for those and it was just it was a lot of fun in a Sunday afternoon at the ballpark and it really ended on such a high note so I'll give my shout out to Taylor right here since you just did. So I was at a wedding on Sunday. I didn't get to see or hear any of the game. And I checked my email, and I have the post-game recap in my inbox from Taylor, the one that he sends out to the media. And it says that Maryland walked it off. And my first reaction is, oh, this is yesterday's. So, Jake, (laughs) take us through the ninth (laughs) inning. What happened? So the ninth inning here was, I want to say, less eventful than Friday night, but just as exciting in the same way. I mean, first off, Michael Horatio starts the inning. The lefty again, really fireball, starts it off against Sierra and walks him on a full count, which is huge. Getting that first base runner on down by two runs in the bottom of the ninth. So Sierra walks, Horatio comes out, and in comes Yanni Pavlopoulos again, trying to redeem himself from the Friday night walk-off where, you know, as they say, all he could do was walk off the mound. That's where that phrase comes from. But then, first off, Jankarski comes in to pinch run for Sierra. And Pavlopoulos knows he has speed. Throws over there a bunch of times. Jankarski doesn't steal, but Biondic 
singles into right field. And for the Terps, they hadn't collected many hits in the game to that point. They had just three. So, Bionic singles. It's their fourth hit of the ball game. Jankarski goes up to second because he held up in between the base paths to see if it would drop. Then Kevin Smith walks on another full count, a 3-2 pitch that ends up being a ball. So now you have the bases loaded. You have the tying run at second base in Biondic. And up coming to the plate is Anthony Papio. And we know Anthony Papio has been, been struggling, a streaky hitter for the beginning of the season, but he's really turned it on. And he takes, he takes the first pitch he sees from Pavlopoulos and ropes it down the right field line, scores both Jankarski and and Bionic, and all of a sudden, we've got a tie ball game, and there's still no outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. You've got runners on second and third, Kevin Smith 90 feet away. Andrew Bechtold comes to the plate, 3-0 count, Pavlopoulos walks him on four pitches, and not really sure if he was working around Bechtold to get to Maynard. I would assume no, but nonetheless, bases loaded, Dan Maynard comes up. It's his first step out of the game, because he had entered to play catcher after Jamal Wade pinch hit for Justin Morris in, in an earlier inning. And Maynard, 1-1 one, one one, one pitch, ground ball, the infield drawn in for Ohio State, gets right past Sergeikis at third, in the hole between third and short. Kevin Smith comes in to score, and all of a sudden you've got walk-offs in second straight games. And I'll be on Matt, it was bedlam. I had, I a personal thing, I had no voice, you know, towards the end of that ball game. And after that call, for sure, I actually had to, I had to close my eyes for a brief second, kind of rear back and look up at the top of the press box because I couldn't get enough sound out of my throat for the amount of excitement that it was. And it, it really was an exciting win. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. You walk off two games in a three-game series, you win the third on a complete game. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But a question I want to ask of you is if you're Ohio State's coach, Greg Beals, do you put Pavlopoulos back out there after what happened on Friday? Because there's there's two schools of thought. There's one that you, okay, you let the guy have a couple days, recollect himself, and get back on the horse. And then there's another, you got to throw him right back out there and give him, show him that you have the confidence in him. And that's the route that Beals went, and Pavlopoulos blew it again. Well, I mean, first of all, I think he was absolutely right in going to Pavlopoulos. This guy's a closer for this Buckeyes team. He had six saves coming into that point, had, you know, 20-something strikeouts, had only walked like three guys, and he had been really dominant for them. And I think, you know, Friday is kind of a fluky thing, so to speak. When you have a team that's been no-hit through nine and a third innings, the chances that they're going to come back in the bottom of the 10th, let alone get to the bottom of the 10th, is slim to none. A, a couple of fluky plays, the pass ball, the error, Helped him get to that point, and then, you know, Pavlopoulos gave up basically two hits, and that was it. So, yeah, you go back to him on Sunday. I think that was the right move. But the Terps were just resilient as ever, and that's really the best word to describe the way that this weekend series was because the Maryland Bats were not there, mind you. Going into Sunday's game, they had a batting average for the series of under 100, .085. Once Sunday's game ended, I took a look at the, at the numbers, and they had, a, they had hits, not runs, hits in just six of the 28 total innings over the series, and yet won all three games. Go figure. Situational hitting. Go figure. I mean, not to mention the fact that you scored three runs in the bottom of the ninth on Sunday to win. You have 
a run in the bottom of the 10th on Friday night to win. So that's four runs in you know the latter innings. The run in the bottom of the ninth on Friday night as well. So all told, of the you know of all the runs the Terps scored over the weekend, a total of ten. Of those ten runs, five of them scored in the ninth inning or later. Unbelievable. It's just there's no other word to say it than just unbelievable. And you know that's such a momentum swing for this Terps team that now they can take going into Richmond and. You know, that's a good place to kind of kick off into the next segment of this podcast as any. So when we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we hear from two relievers on this Terps team. One of them got both wins in those walk-offs. Mike Racino, Ryan Summer also coming up next. So stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Wondering when our next broadcast is? Check out our broadcast schedule available at MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, complete with links to each game's broadcast, including which broadcast will be televised on BTN Plus. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. We're joined now by Terps pitcher Mike Racino. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, a solid weekend for you. Got your first career win. In fact, you got two wins and threw just eight pitches. What was that like? Uh, I mean, it was awesome just to uh, just to come into those tight situations and get a do my job basically, just get the guy out and then try to give our offense a chance to come back. And uh, we had two walk-offs, which is awesome. So it was, it was a big uh, big weekend for us. Have you ever been a part of a weekend quite like this one? Uh, no, I've never had two walk-offs here. I mean, we've had one like a weekend before here. I remember uh, I remember one against uh, North Carolina my freshman year, which is pretty cool. But uh, this was awesome because we needed these wins. They were, uh, they were big on getting us uh, on the right track again. It's been it's been a, a pretty up and down season for you guys so far, but you know a lot of the players were saying, and Coach Jeff said after Sunday's game that this was maybe kind of a turning point for you guys. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with Coach Jeff 100. I mean, we were scuffling. I mean, in my first two years here, I mean, I'm used to winning like more than I'm losing. And this year, we were, I think, below 500 entering the weekend or entering the week, and uh, I mean. These wins definitely helped us get back on the right track, and I mean, and, and especially going into uh, these games with Richmond and uh, Minnesota this week, which are four big games for us. I mean, we're hoping to uh, just continue to keep it rolling. All right, we were kind of talking about that at the beginning of the season, how it was kind of a young team that you know the majority of the players on the team had only known regional wins and super regional appearances, and I guess you fit into that category. So, with that kind of not so guaranteed, what's it been like playing this year? It's been different. I mean, it's. I mean, you gotta learn to uh, kind of just like let the young guys kind of like get into like their groove as baseball players and like try to figure it out. But I mean, us older guys were used to being at like the high level of like competitiveness and like the young guys weren't really getting in the beginning of the year. But like now they're starting to get it and like we're starting to click as a team, pitching good, hitting good. So I mean, we're gonna be. It's going to be tough down the stretch. You mentioned being one of the older guys. and What is that like, kind of trying to pull the younger guys along with you, teach them the ways, and, and get back on track? You know, What is the leadership role like for you? Um, I mean, I just try to I mean, I just try to go about my business and like hopefully they can like see what I'm doing and like see how I'm going about like 
my pregame routine and like how I'm going about my, my business on the mound and like my mound presence and stuff like that. And like hopefully they can just follow like in my footsteps and stuff like that. I mean, and most of them have been doing a great job this year. Like all the guys from out the pen, like our young pitchers have been doing awesome. So let's let's talk about that business for a little bit because last year made only six appearances. You converted from the infield, and we'll touch on that a little bit later in our conversation. But this year, you're already at 13 appearances, two saves, and you've kind of emerged as, as a late-inning option. So what's it like with an increased role this season? Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely better than, than watching other guys do it last year. Because, I, I mean, I'm just a really competitive guy. And I, I wanted to be out there last year, but, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't as ready as I am this year to, like, go out there and, like, just like have the confidence to like throw the pitches where I want, but like and last year kind of helped me like kind of humble myself a little bit watching the older guys go through and like how they went about the business. So, I mean, it was it was just learning experience, but I mean, I'm I'm happy I'm doing good and uh, and the team is doing good. So let's talk about the that transition now because you came into Maryland as a freshman as as pretty much an infielder, third baseman, you know, working around that left side of the infield, but then last year decided to make the move to the mound. What kind of prompted that decision? What was the discussion like there? Um, well, I pitched a little bit like in high school. I did I did pretty good. But like I mean I came here mostly to hit. I mean I pitched a little bit on my freshman fall, but I didn't throw in innings during like the real games, uh my freshman year. But then over the summer I threw like maybe like ten innings, just got a feel for the mound again. And once I came back I just like I wasn't really hitting that well and I Started pitching a lot better, so I just pushed up. Uh, I just sat me down, and that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I just, I want to just be good at like one thing. So I told him I think I'm better shot pitching. He was completely supportive of my decision, and so far it's been a really good, uh, good decision for me. We were talking last week with Taylor Styles about if he misses hitting, because he was telling us that he hit a grand slam in his high school championship game. Do you ever miss hitting? And were there ever a, was there ever a time where you second guessed the decision at all? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do miss hitting. I mean, there's nothing like there's nothing like hitting a home run. I mean, there's no better feeling than that. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I was struggling uh, last year as a pitcher, I questioned it a little bit. I was like, maybe I made the wrong choice. But then, like once I started to mature a little more, I I, I came to realize that like, I made the right choice to be a pitcher now. One thing I noticed on the mound with you this weekend is that you're really using your curve. I mean, you only threw eight pitches, but you tossed the curveball a couple times, and it's it's coming along really nicely. It's got this really hard break, and it's not an easy pitch to catch up to. And I know you mentioned to me your struggles with the curveball as a hitter. So when you're on the mound thinking about that as a pitcher, what kind of what goes into that? Uh, well, I mean, I just a lot of I just could lay off the uh, curveball in the dirt. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't too fun to swing at those over and over. But now, I mean, I I always had a good curveball, like, like playing when I was, like, little. So I kind of just – I kind of, like, started playing around with it again, and I found, like, how to throw pretty good now. So, I mean, it's been it's been a good pitch for me so far this year. So I'm hoping I can just keep it – keep it worth that and maybe get a little better and I just get more consistent with my throwing for a strike. You're one of the hardest throwers on the team as well. Is that something that – you develop through this transition, or was that something that you had all along and it was just about locating? Uh, well, I mean, I always had a good arm. Like I came here, I had I had one of the stronger like infield arms on our team, but uh, 
Uh, but last year, I was just leaving ball, like, over the middle of the plate too much. So, so this year, I really focused on, like, living more on the corners and, like, keeping the ball down and stuff. Because, I mean, once you get to, like, this level of competition, anybody can can turn around, like, like 90 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's not – you just really got to learn to, like, just keep it down and, like, pitch the contact, like, pitch the weak contact, like, keeping down the zone and, like, on the corners. Well, now you're the one throwing curveballs in the dirt, striking people out. You've got 11 strikeouts on the air, and you've kept the ball in the zone, too. It's still only three walks in your 11 innings. So things have been, you know, really turning a corner for you and not just the rest of the team, and not just for you, but the rest of the bullpen as well. This weekend, you guys were solid in relief, you know, keeping the team in these games. So how have you guys, as a collective group, kind of gotten together and, and stepped up recently? Yeah, I mean, uh, we obviously were... We were struggling at the beginning of the year. I mean, we were we weren't really good as a pitching staff, but now we're kind of just like going into the attitude. Like our stuff is like really good. Like everyone's stuff on this team is really good. Like you wouldn't be here if you weren't good enough to, to play. So I mean, we just need to get the confidence up. And like, and Coach Bellinger like talks about that, uh, talks with us about that all the time. Just like having confidence in our pitches and, and not uh not second guessing what's like what's being called, just go out there and throw a pitch with intent. And if you get hit, you get hit. You just got to make a pitch next time. On Saturday, you guys were being no hit through nine and a third innings. Or Friday, I should say. The game got pushed up. Second game Friday. Obviously, you're you're not a hitter, so you can't break it up. But what was the conversation like in the bullpen? Was that something you guys were talking about at all? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were trying to jinx the, uh, the pitch as much as we could just to – just to get a hit across the board so we can hopefully get a win. And, and, and Zach, uh, uh, Jane Garcia ended up having a huge hit. Uh, still second base and Madison finished it off for us, but a huge single in the gap. Now, moving on to some, some lighter conversation. I've noticed, you know, on the on the road trips and, and just in general that you're one of the louder guys on the team. And I, I think it's safe to say you're one of the jokesters as well. You and Biondic and Jan Karski. What do, you, what, do you, what do you make of that in terms of your role with – with in terms of morale or anything like that? Uh, I mean, this is always how I've been. I always try to just, like, keep the mood light. And I, and I, and I just try to enjoy playing baseball. I mean, I, I don't think anyone has as much fun as I do playing playing a game of baseball. And I always just try to keep that to, like, positive and not let, like, the game dictate, like, how our energy is going to be and stuff like that. I always just try to keep guys, like, just light and having fun and just remember that we're, here, that we're just lucky to be able to play this game every day. And that goes hand in hand with calling guys like Taylor Styles Batman because of his mask, and Galligan, the fifth-year senior grandpa, because of how old people seem to think he is. Stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you gotta. I mean, I mean, I've nicknames too. I mean, people just call me like, like Reese and stuff like that. And like, and 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 that, and that nickname started because uh, Alex Robinson and Jared Price couldn't pronounce my last name. They thought uh, the G and it was stupid, so they started calling me Reese. I mean, it's funny how everything works out, but, I mean, that nickname's that, that growing on me, and it's just been fun here. I think earlier in the year we talked to uh, Kevin Biondic, and he was saying he was Uncle Mike and uh, Nick Sieri is Cheese. Any other notable nicknames on the team? Uh, uh, I don't know. Those are probably the two, like, two more funny ones on the team. You know, obviously, uh, Shorn's got uh, the unicorn, and uh, I... Uh, I can't really see any others right now, but I mean, everyone's got one. I just, I just, whatever comes in my head, go around the field, I'll just say it. I don't, 
I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest. When it comes to saying your name at the beginning of the season and really throughout the year, whenever the opposing radio booth comes into the press box or really anyone else, you know, I go through the pronunciations with them and they say, are there any, are there any weird ones that stick out? And I look at the list and I go, yeah, that guy, it's not Resigno, it's Resino. And they look at me like I have three heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, people have been, uh, been saying my last name all my whole life, so I, I've, I've always had it uh, correct. And maybe as a little kid, but I mean, you just, you just get used to it <laughs> as, you, as you grow older. Aside from nicknames, any other weird rituals you guys have as a bullpen, superstitions, or or funny trends you guys have out there? Uh, I'm, one thing we do is uh, when like, we score a big run, we do this like this funny dance where we throw our hands in the air and we just like act like a, act like a bunch of uh, crazy men out there uh, when, we, when we score. Just because like we can't be in the dugout because we're trying to get like mentally focused, but we're trying to just so uh, here's here's something that I've noticed also. The bullpen largely staying in the dugout for the beginning of the games. You guys head out there in like the fourth or the fifth inning. Do you guys decide as a group when to go down there or is that something Bellinger tells you to do? And, and do you prefer just hanging out in the dugout? Um, well, most of us usually go down like the fifth inning or whatever like Bellinger just like he sometimes said to say everyone go down there because everyone's Everyone's alive that day, but I love being a dugout, just being like, even though I'm not on the field at that point in the game, like, usually I'm in there, like, in the later innings, I just try to, like, just, just always pull for my teammates and, the, and like, let them know that, like, like, the whole team is behind them when they're up at bat, or, like, it's like Sean's making a big pitch, like, we're, like, we're behind them no matter what happens. And with the, kind of the later innings, you've, like I said earlier, you've emerged as kind of a late inning go-to option, you know, Rob's there, too, with you know, the left-handed side of things, Selmer's there as well. Do you like kind of the pressure of the late innings? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's a cool feeling, like, just getting out there and, like, you're going to, like, it's like, it's kind of like a do-or-die spot. Like, you're like, really going to win with you or lose with you. So, I mean, get that drilling pump there. It's just, it's just a really good feeling being out there in the, those pressure situations. So we've talked about the Mike Rossino on the field and around the game. What do you like away from the game? What do you like to do uh, aside from baseball? Uh, I mean, I basically do anything. I'm always, I'm always just hanging out with my teammates. Like, it, even when we're on the field, like we're always hanging out, like playing video games and watching TV stuff like that. I mean, just, just always just trying to like keep our, keep our minds away from the game as much as we can when we're off, just to like give us a break from it. But like most of the time, we are talking about baseball or like the games are like, like, we could have done better and stuff like that. We've been asking some of the guys who have come on our podcast in the last couple of weeks who they're who they're picking for the World Series. I know your sports hero is Babe Ruth. I'm going to guess you're a Yankees fan, you know, from the Jersey area. Do you have him going all the way this year? Oh, yeah, for sure. Once we get once we get Chapman back, the game's over in the sixth inning. Once you get Patantis, Miller, and Chapman back there, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yankees got it all the way. Do you kind of fashion your relief outings, you know, kind of like the Yankees bullpen? Um, yeah. I mean, sort of. I mean, I mean, once you get to like our back end guys, like Summer, Gallagher, uh, uh, myself, Gus Miller. I mean, you can throw any one of us out there in the ladings, and we're all going to perform really well. It's just we're all we all just have really good, good like um, mentalities out there. Like you're not going to hit my my best pitch here. 
Okay, so so last question real quick. Since they're so fast on the Yankees, who are they beating from the NL? Oh, I I think it might be a Subway Series this year. Yankees Mets, but I don't. I, I think Yankees might take it from them this year. I mean, Mets are really good this year, but they always pulling for the Yankees. I mean, I just I grew up loving them, so I I can never root against my Yankees. Hey, I certainly wouldn't complain. I'm a Mets fan. I know Galligan's a big Mets fan too, so maybe some inter bullpen rivalries there once we get to October. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if anything I can do to. Uh, all right, Mike. Well, thanks so much for, for joining the podcast tonight. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. When we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll talk to another arm out of the bullpen, Ryan Selmer. Stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Like what you hear? Think we can do better? Feel free to reach out. Email us at MarylandBaseballNetwork at gmail.com with any recommendations you have as to how we can make our broadcast and website better. All feedback is welcomed. Again, that's MarylandBaseballNetwork at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Joined now by the 6'8 sophomore right-hander, Ryan Selmer. Ryan, thanks for coming on tonight. Hey, no problem. My pleasure. I mean, Matt and I have to be honest, we've been waiting to have you on this podcast probably since the beginning of the season. I know in our like preseason coverage when we did 25 days of baseball, we kind of tabbed you as the most interesting guy on the team, and we're going to get to all those reasons why. But all right. to start off on the Maryland baseball side of things, before we you know have a little bit of fun, this season kind of turned around for you guys this last weekend. The bullpen started to turn around and two walk-off wins. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a big uh, booster. You know, starting off not really doing too well, as you know, just kind of having one thing on, one thing off. You know, one thing, one time the pitching's good, and one day our hitting's good. I don't know, and it was just kind of good to just get a, you know, get a sweep and get everything rolling. Hopefully, we can keep it going. Well, now 16 appearances for you so far on the season, yeah. and you're starting to kind of battle with Galligan for, you know, whoever's got the most on the team. Galligan's up there in the conference. Yeah, we uh we definitely um argue or we definitely like uh comp- compete over that every day. We're like he's like, Yeah, I got one, you didn't get one and we're you know, he tweeted at me the other day. And uh <laughs> I, I had a record from last year. He's he's on track to pretty much destroy that record. So um hopefully uh hopefully I can catch up to him, who knows? You and he are also are often uh warming up in the bullpen next to one another in those sixth, seventh, eighth innings. Is there anything said between you while you guys are warming up to potentially come in the game? Um, I mean, not really. Just the normal stuff, like, you know, uh, talk about, like, who's on deck, righties or lefties, and who could be uh, who could be going in. Like, you know, if there's, like, a lefty on deck, I'd be like, yeah, there's a lefty on deck. It could be, you know, you're going in. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it's just really just – you know, staying focused and stuff like that. So, Something I noticed the other day when I was up in the booth, I think this was during the doubleheader on Friday, is you came out you know, running out to the mound. I know at the beginning of the season you had I, the Tiger, as your warm-up oh, yeah. song, which which was great. It was very typical you. But yeah. I noticed this time you kind of switched it up and you went with Imperial March from Star Wars. Yeah. So last year, I um, that's what I had. I had, um, I had the Imperial March when I ran out to the mound. And then they played uh, some other song. It was like uh, I think it's called like Joker in the Thief or something. I don't know. But like they would play the Imperial March when I walked out or when I ran out to the mounds. 
Um, but this year I decided to like switch it up and put out a tiger. And it worked and it didn't really work for me uh not too well. So I decided to go back to uh Imperial March from Star Wars from last year, so I know you're, I, guess I, I know you're a yeah. big I know you're a big Star Wars fan, but when you get on the mound, I guess you kinda of see yourself more as Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, you know, try to uh uh, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, that's my attempt at making a Star Wars reference. I mean, yeah, I'll he's like you, the he's yeah. Like I still haven't seen. I still Star haven't Wars, seen the movies. So I, guess kind of what it is, yeah. I still haven't seen the movies. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna let you, you down with our yet? knowledge of Star Wars. You guys haven't seen the movies? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I told you. I told you a couple weeks ago that that we're working on it. Yeah, you need to get on that. I know you and John Murphy go back and forth on who's the bigger Star Wars fan. <laughs> definitely me. <laughs> uh, I found a way that we can uh, settle this once and for all. Oh, yeah? I think we should uh, do, like, a little segment uh Star Wars, like, like quiz or trivia or something. You know, we can just me and him be on there and yeah, ask us some trivia questions to see who, uh, who does better. So, Matt and I will ask trivia questions about a movie that we've never seen to you two guys in an MBN podcast meets Star Wars trivia night. Yeah. That's All right, it. you heard it here first. Are, you, are you guys we'll gonna dress it. up as characters as well? What did you say? Are you guys gonna dress up as characters as well? I feel like that's got to be part of the deal. <laughs> Not for Halloween, come on. <laughs> All right, so if, if you were any Star Wars character for Halloween and Murph was a Star Wars character for Halloween, who would you two be? Uh, I don't know. I'd probably just go. I'd probably go Vader or Chewbacca or something. You know? Do you have a Chewie impression? <laughs> No, not really. He doesn't really say much. Come on, give it a shot. No, that was hey, that's that was better great. than we could do. He literally, he just, he just kind of mumbles, you know. Right, right. Han, Han Solo seems to know what he's saying. So. Fair enough. What'd you think of the new Star Wars movie? Uh, it was good. I saw it three times. So only three. Uh, yeah, I saw it in a regular uh, movie theater, and I saw it in IMAX and then 3D. So. Which was the best experience? I just like the regular, to be honest. 3D kind of hurts my eyes. No, I agree. And, uh, it makes me tired for some reason. Yeah, I don't really like 3D too much. Well, but I had the free. I had free tickets. So well, you're six foot eight. Idea. So when you go to a movie theater, where do you? I mean, you must have to sit kind of at the back, or you're craning up the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. I love sitting in the back because if not, if you're if you're too close, your neck's like cranked back, and it kind of hurts, you know. I mean, it must be kind of. Fr- I mean, I know when. I know on these long flights out to California, and when you guys go fly to Minnesota, I know that you're you're standing in line waiting to check in. You know, you're really hoping to get that aisle seat or extra yeah. leg room. It, it kind of uh, kind of stinks because my last name starts with S, so I'm always like some of the last guys like on the plane, and usually the exit rows are taken by then. I have gotten it like once or twice, but yeah, um, I you, think they should like they should once in a while you know put the guys at the with the bad last names, you know, with like S and W, with like Wade. Yeah, they should let us go first once in a while, but it's all good. Do you ever find yourself like haggling with shorter guys like Pat Heisel or Kango for, for the seats, you know, kind of on the aisle? <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, if I have like one of my teammates on a window seat, I'll be like, hey, uh, you want to switch? And sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, I find I find a way to get comfortable. So I've been I've been living like this for a while. So I find ways to adapt. What are the the best tall jokes you've heard? What did you say? What are the best tall jokes that you've heard? 
Oh, the best. I mean, there's not very many good ones. <laughs> the, the, funny, the, the funny part about it is, like, how you get the same ones every day. Like, you'll, like, get the same people asking you, like, the same questions, like, hey, how's the weather up there? And just kind of, like, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, I've never heard that one before. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we're like, uh, you know, just stuff like that. I don't know. Well, I know at these airports and other places, too, you find ways to keep yourself and everybody else entertained with some little close-up magic. And I've been privy to some of these little tricks with the quarters and the bottle caps oh, yeah. and, and whatever. How did you get involved, you know, doing this magic to begin with? I don't know. I just kind of had, like, a, I got like I got really into it, like, um, I don't know, like a, a couple of years ago. I started, like, looking up, like, uh, stuff on, like, YouTube and stuff. And then I started buying some stuff, like, uh, magic tricks. I, like, really like the sleight of hand stuff. I like the stuff that's, like, right in front of your face that no one that no one gets and uh, stuff like that. So, I don't know. It's just really fun to, like, be able to, like, you know, trick people with that kind of stuff. But it's all know. it's all stuff you've taught yourself? Uh, yeah, I taught myself all of it. Um, I mean, I've learned from people on, like, YouTube. Uh, just, like, I don't really know. Honestly, I don't know, like, that much magic tricks, but, like... I'd say you know more I, uh, than the, the average baseball player. Oh, yeah, more than the average, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I gotta show you some uh, card tricks and stuff next time we go on. I guess Minnesota this week. Uh, I actually, we won't be in Minnesota, unfortunately, but next oh, trip out, okay. I'll look forward to. It. You certainly had me in LAX with that with that quarter trick and and the one with the marker. Oh yeah. What's your What's your favorite trick? I know magicians never like to reveal their secrets, but can you kind of describe one of your favorite tricks? I really like the the coin appearing on the shoulder trick. It's probably one of my favorites. My go-to for sure. I mean, I don't want to out you here, but that one probably is a lot easier when you have a six foot eight wingspan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so you talk about road trips and talk about flying, and one of the things you mentioned to us during 25 days of baseball is your interest in potentially becoming a pilot. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I've been wanting to do that ever since I was a kid. Uh, I guess once I'm uh, – once I'm like older, I guess, and settled in and everything, I'd like to go get like my private pilot's license or something like that, okay. and uh, and be able to you know just fly. Like I don't know, it's just something I've always wanted to do. It seemed like really interesting to me. Well, that would guarantee you a seat with good leg room. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I should think at least. I don't know how big cockpits are these days. Actually, uh, I came back from a flight like a while ago, uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I was still like six, seven, six, eight at this time, and. Um, but I asked the pilot after the flight if I could sit in the cockpit and like see how uh, see if I'd fit and I fit. So, I mean, hey, good news. Yeah. So when I guess kind of when did when did you hit your growth spurt? Um. So I was actually honestly I was pretty like short and chubby throughout like my little years, my younger years. But uh, your little I hit years. It. <laughs> yeah, my younger years, my bad. Uh, but I um. I hit it about sophomore, junior year, the off season there of uh, it was like my so, end of my sophomore season. I, I really hit like a growth spurt, and I, I like pretty much grew like five, six inches. I don't know. I was only like six two my sophomore year, and I hit up to like six six, six seven. So was that painful? Because I've heard stories of people who grow that much that it, it's hard on their body to grow so much in such a short amount of time. Um, yeah, it's not too bad, but I mean, I did feel a lot of my knees, but after a while it went away. Just some growing pains and stuff. How did you adjust as a, as a pitcher, you know, in terms of, you know, your I was definitely really, yeah, it was definitely really, uh, really awkward because like, 
just a lot of like, especially like now I'm I'm better, but like when I first actually when I first got here, I was really awkward too. Like me and Bellinger had to work on a lot of like mechanical stuff. Um, it's just hard to control, you know, like all that, especially when it just right when it happens and it happens that fast. <laughs> well, you're pretty nimble jumping off the mound too. I remember there was a kind of a swinging bunt, or maybe it was a bunt play this weekend where you hopped off the mound and barehanded the ball and like threw it on threw it the first on like the backhand. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, it was a swing bunt, like it was one of those choppers, but uh yeah, we worked on that a lot in TFPs and stuff, so kinda of paid off a little bit. <laughs> I went I, I I can tell you one thing I couldn't do that when I got here. No? <laughs> no. So you guys, you know, you mentioned how we're kinda of turning a corner at least, you know, through this weekend now, four straight games going into Richmond. And when we talked with uh Mike Racino earlier, he kinda of mentioned that you guys were turning a corner as a bullpen. And he mentioned like this funky dance that you guys do out there, and I was kind of hoping you could elaborate on that. The funky dance you said? Yeah. Whenever you score uh, yeah. runs. Oh uh, yeah, we'll just uh, I don't know. You can talk to Gus about that one. Uh, he's he's pretty good at it. But um, yeah, it's just everyone just goes crazy and does this little thing. I don't even know. Uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty weird. But um, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely definitely the main reason why we're uh, turning a corner here. We were also talking with Mike about how this is kind of a young team, and I guess you're, you're a sophomore. You're included in that kind of young movement as an underclassman, but yet at the same time, you're also kind of an old guy. Where do you see yourself in terms of that divide? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I obviously like I had a good year last year. Towards the end, I kind of struggled, but. Um, this year, I know um, I've like struggled a little bit, and I've been working on a lot of uh, a lot of like my mechanics lately, and really been working on like sinking the ball and instead of like I've been I was falling off a lot at the at the beginning of the year this year, and uh, um, I've been working on a lot of my mechanics and stuff, and working a lot to sink the ball, and uh, yeah, I mean if I'm like if you're saying like. I'm an older guy. Like, yeah, I'm also an older guy. I'm an older guy, but I'm also a younger guy because I still have three more years left. But um, I don't know. I just have, I guess I've had, like, some experience from last year that I can, like, you know, talk to some of the younger guys about and, uh, like, let them know what to, what to do and what not to do and where I failed and where I succeeded and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Of the younger guys that you've, you know, had the opportunity to interact with in the bullpen, Who's kind of stood out to you? Has it been Guth or Miller, Ank, Murphy? Yeah, um, I really liked uh, Murphy. Um, obviously, he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year with starting, but I um, mean, if you look at him out of the pen, I mean, he's been he's been really solid. Like, um, and also Guth, Guth's uh, been Guth's uh, been really solid. He's definitely made some adjustments from the fall, and he's uh, he's looking he's looking really good. Um, definitely a good uh they bring him in against lefties a lot and uh well most of the time he succeeded and yeah he's just been really good he's definitely uh gotten a lot better along with murphy murphy obviously struggled and now he's uh he's definitely made some adjustments and he can be some of that, that guy, one of those guys out of the pen i think down the road so Uh, oh, my favorite so far. Um, 
I don't know. I like going to the Dome and the Rays, but uh, that was cool. Um, I actually went down there when they were playing the Orioles, so that was that was fun. Uh, I've been to Boston and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know a specific one that sticks out. I guess the one that sticks out the most is uh, the, the Dome, just because it was like a different kind of thing. But uh, um, I've also been to a lot of the ones in California, like the Angels and all that. That was cool. Um, any plans for this summer? Um, no, not specifically. I'm trying to make it to out, so probably one or two, but who knows. Well, you'll, you'll probably have a chance to make it out to Fenway maybe once. I know you're going up to play in Cape Cod. Yeah, I've been there. I've, I've already been to that one, but I'll probably go again for sure. What are you What are you looking forward to about playing uh, for Wareham this summer? Uh, definitely looking forward to it. I mean, it's the Cape Cod. I've never had that opportunity to play there, or even been invited to there, or anything like that. So it's just cool to get the opportunity to do that. And uh, I don't know, just um, stuff like that. So. Well, thanks, Ryan, for coming on the podcast tonight. Certainly had a good time. Yeah, I appreciate it. appreciate it. When we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll take a look at this week in Terps Baseball, game against Richmond, and weekend series out in Minnesota. Stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But, in order to do so, we need your help. As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Mike Racino and Ryan Selmer, two late-inning arms out of the Terps bullpen, and thanks to them for joining us, both of them entertaining conversations. Selmer, of course, with his Star Wars fandom, Racino moving from third base to the mound. But now turning our attentions to this week for the Terps tomorrow, uh, midweek game against Richmond at Richmond. Well, Terps will take on the Spiders first pitch at 3 o'clock, and I'll be there for the Maryland Baseball Network. And then this weekend, Matt. Yeah, this weekend, Terps are off to Minnesota, another road trip. It's a plane trip, so unfortunately we will not be with you, but all three games available on the Big Ten Network Plus. So uh, if you are a subscriber, you can get the games that way. Of course, the last time the Terps were in Minneapolis was for the Big Ten tournament last year. And they came in second in that one, falling in the final to Michigan. But this time, the first time they'll face the Golden Gophers in Big Ten play. They haven't played them yet since joining the conference. So it should be an exciting series out in Minneapolis. We're sorry that we won't be there to bring it to you. But full coverage tomorrow in Richmond, starting at 3 o'clock. Pre-game show gets underway at 2.40. Again, you can always follow us on Twitter, at MDBaseballNet. Check out the website for exclusive content, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. We had some pretty cool stuff going up there this past weekend, a couple videos of the walk-offs, some feature pieces as well. So look for more of that as the Terps Baseball Weeks continue. So with that, we are out of time here on the 16th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. And boy, they have flown by and they have been a lot of fun. So thanks for tuning in and be sure to tune in to Jake tomorrow at 2.45 p.m. on the Maryland Baseball Network.